We, we are excited to have you guys here with us for a brand new series. We're entitling The Argument Hangover. And we got the name of this series from our guest speaker for today. Um, all the way from Arizona, we brought in the authors of two books, one of which is The, the Argument Hangover. Um, uh, also successful relationship podcasters of a podcast called Empowered Couples. So check out that podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, Aaron and Jocelyn Freeman have been with us investing in our in marriages yesterday. I think we sold them out of their books, so you should find their books on Amazon now. And I think that's awesome, Live Church. But what I would love is if you'd put your hands together and welcome our guest speaker for today, Aaron Freeman. Come on out. How's this? How's this? <laughs> Am I going to get feedback on the one that's on too? Well, good morning, everyone. We've really had such a great time, my wife and I, here yesterday at the, the marriage conference. And this idea here, the Word of God is living and active. How many of you are having that experience now or can definitely say you've had that experience? Go ahead and clap. Yes, please go ahead. This is going to be participatory here today. And it, it's that experience where you can read the same passage over and over, and then all of a sudden, because of a certain situation in your life, you read something you've read 10 times and it strikes you differently. It's like God is speaking to me and I swear I've read this so many times. And that's the experience I'm having preparing for this message, being here today. So my proposition is that we've all missed something. Okay, we've missed something from the very beginning. And when I say the beginning, I mean the beginning. Creation. So where I want to be here today, if you'd like to follow along in your Bibles, is Genesis chapters 1 through 3. And diving right into it, you're going to remember the creation story. So we get a layout here that God created in six days. Started with, he had light from dark. Then he separates the sky from the waters. He forms the land, produces vegetation, puts the lights in the sky. I love the way he says that. The sun, the moon, and the stars. Then he sets the animals in the sea and in the air. And then he comes back to the land, the animals and mankind. So that's a big deal. <laughs> wow, the creation of the universe. That's grand. Now what happens is, as we move into Genesis chapter 2, we get that on the seventh day he rested. But it lets us know that in the rest of the chapter, we're going to get this account. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So there's something different about that. Where Genesis chapter 1 is a summary of creation, Genesis chapter 2 actually takes us back a little bit as a detailed account. We get more of God's intention. So if you jump to chapter 2, move a little bit forward to verse 15 and 17, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, and to care for it. And then he lets him know at the, in the end of that passage, you must not eat from the tree of knowledge. Now, a few main takeaways here. 
God creates man, and he gives him, first of all, a place. Now, my wife and I are from Arizona. Anybody been out to Arizona in the summer, by chance? Yes, blazing. Like, if your AC goes out, you're in major trouble. I honestly don't think how, I don't know how half the people live. Like, if your AC went out in the summer, you're done. So if God had placed Adam in Arizona desert in the summer when he created him, he's done. He wouldn't have made it. (laughs) So God prepares the garden because it's an environment, it's a habitat that is specific for him. Then he gives him a purpose. He gives him a purpose to name all the animals, and then he gives him a command. That's, hey, bro, you got a lot of stuff going on, just don't eat from this tree. All right, we, all right, we got that. So Adam goes about, and he gives names to all the wild animals. Now, I don't know about some of you. I take it that I'm a pretty efficient guy. I like to take action. I like to get things done. But naming all the animals, there, there's, mil- there's, there's animals we don't even know s- right now, probably. That would have taken me years <laughs> to name all of the animals. And so... In that time period, it says, then God looks out and says he found no suitable helper was found for Adam. Then the Lord God makes woman. Now, creating male and female was not a new concept to this point. If you go back to chapter 1, he says that male and female were created for all the species. And it was just like that, male and female That's going to be the case so that the earth can populate. But he doesn't do that with humans. He gives Adam a place and a purpose, and then he spends some time doing that purpose. And God observes him. He watches him and says, you know what? There's something else. I need to create not just a female, but a particular kind, a woman. He created a partner. This is not just someone to reproduce and populate the earth with other humans. He created a partner. So the last thing God created was relationship. He knew us being conscious and social human beings that we would need not only a place, but also a purpose, and we would need partnership. And that's because we're not just here to have fun. We're not just here to enjoy We're not just here to have things be easy. We are here for a meaningful and fulfilling life, especially one that follows his purpose for our life. So we can live this kind of meaningful life through being in relationship. Now, I know not everyone is in a relationship here. Some married, some married a long time. I think yesterday, was it 45 Sorry, 43, 43, 43 years together. And I know some of you in here are probably not even in relationship yet, but that's where we want to go. God created relationship for the meaning and the purpose it can bring to us and to have someone that goes on that journey with us. So if you look back, Genesis chapter 1, God saw that it was good every step along the way, from the light to the dark, separating the waters, creating the animals. He said it was good, it was good, it was good six times. And it's not till the end when he formed relationship that he said, what? It's very good now. That stands out to me. 
the fact that he set Adam out, created relationship, there was partnership, and that that was going to be the way in which all of his creation would be managed, that's very good. Relationship is actually one of the greatest things God created. If we look next then, the question becomes, are you operating as if your relationship is God's creation? Now, I'm not going to stand up here and say every single day I'm operating like my own marriage is God's creation. I think this is an ideal for us to strive for. And even if you're not in a relationship, as you're seeking for someone, as you're getting into a relationship, as you're navigating that space, whether it's dating, are you looking at a relationship that is God's creation? Are you looking for that kind of partner? And maybe you've been married for a long time. Do you need to remind yourself that it's not about the dishes? It's not about your partner being on you, about picking something up around the house. That this relationship is actually one of God's creations. Now, often we don't operate like this or we get out of this because of conflict. See, conflict causes separation. And that's why we called our book The Argument Hangover. You have conflict, and then what happens to you afterwards, you're disconnected, you're mad, you're angry, you don't want to initiate repair with them, and that can go on for some time. And that feels bad. It feels terrible. It feels like a hangover. Your energy is low, you're disconnected, and then a lack of repair causes further frustration and disappointment. So today's big idea is handling your hangovers and repairing in a relationship brings you back into God's purpose. So the conflict cycle, it's not just conflict, it's the cycle of conflict that causes separation, specifically in your relationship and in your marriage. And here's the mistake we make. We all think this, that conflict is bad. But conflict itself is not good or bad. It's how you handle conflict that makes that conflict positive or negative. It's your attitude. It's your action. It's your reaction. It's the thing you do from that emotion that then leads to that conflict being a positive or negative in your relationship and in your life. And conflict is inevitable. It is for us today, and it always was a part of relationship. Now, check this out. We all are familiar with the original sin, right, the fall. Okay, so in Genesis chapter 3, we get, when woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. So the original sin, we could say, and I think this probably gets a little more light, that Eve disobeyed. So Eve's role in the original sin is disobedience. She disobeyed God's command that was told to her likely by Adam, but let me come back to that. So then she also gave some to her husband. I think this is conveniently left out. Who was with her and he ate it. Okay, think about if you were Adam for a second. You were here on earth with all these animals by yourself. God creates a partner for you. That's a new thing. That's the only human. If I mess this relationship up, I'm done. There's nobody else. 
I would feel so much pressure. I've got to get her to like me because this is it. There's no other way. So this is just my opinion, right? So Eve, so God gave Adam what? A command early on before Eve was even there. He told Adam not to eat from the tree. So it was up to him to relay to Eve that we have a command or a guideline. Okay, so here's Eve now. She's out. She grabs the fruit. Adam is with her. I imagine her looking to Adam. Hey, is this okay? <laughs> he doesn't want to disappoint her. He wants to be accepted. He goes, go ahead. <laughs> so Adam's role in the original sin, I, you know, we say, oh, Eve, she, dis her disobedience, that's the original sin. I don't think so. I think it's both of them. Adam's original sin is compliance. He was instructed by God to not eat from the tree. And God told him long before Eve. It was his responsibility. And she looked to him, and he complied. He did not lead. He did not hold the standard in which he knew he was here for, the purpose and the command that God gave to him. Of any, I'm just men, real quick, this is a place I think we could all step into. Where in our lives with our partners do we comply? Because we want to be accepted. We want to be loved. We want to have companionship. But where has God given us direction that we are not staying on path with? This is what now leads them into the conflict cycle. And, and for those couples that were here yesterday, now you're all too familiar with the conflict cycle. Maybe even got in one when you left. <laughs> no, no, no. So the conflict cycle is that there's always an unmet need. But something happens. There has to be a triggering event. So then in that, one partner feels fear. And in that fear, we then have a default reaction. And what happens in a relationship is my reaction now to my partner elicits a fear in them, and then they have a correlated reaction back to me, and it usually strikes a deeper fear. So that's where we get into the conflict cycle. There's actually not only original sin, there's an original conflict. Look at this. So God then, in chapter 3, verse 11, comes to Adam and says, Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Even before I was preparing for this message, anytime I've read this verse, I'm like, bro, you, you jumped to blame fast. I mean, and you didn't even have any ancestry. You didn't have any parents. Where did you learn that? Like, right to blame? And when I read this, honestly, I don't know if this is just my interpretation, but the way that it's worded, the woman you put here for me, it's like he blamed God too. And then woman, like, like that's not your partner. Like, that's not your wife, right? It's like, oh, you did this to me, and then you put this. It's like, wow. All right, so Adam's role in the conflict cycle is blame, right? He felt shame. He felt shame for his lack of leadership. 
He felt shame for his disobedience. He also felt shame for now he realized he was naked. But all of that, that could have been fine. But it was his reaction of blaming his wife that gets the conflict cycle going. So now we continue. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. So Eve's role in the conflict cycle is actually deflecting. So she felt guilt, right? Adam likely did convey to her at one point, we don't eat from that tree, and then she liked it and she got his, you know, go ahead. But she still feels really guilty about that for her initial disobedience. But she deflects that responsibility then to the serpent. So here we are, Adam and Eve, first couple, first original sin, first original conflict cycle. Adam feels shame, but he blames. Eve feels guilt, then she deflects. Now, a common mistake that we all make is that when we feel a core fear, rather than owning, first of all, that we just feel this way, or owning our action, we just react. So it's, it's the lack of ownership. Now, again, just my interpretation. If Adam would have just owned their initial action, if God would have said, Adam, did you eat from the tree I told you not to? And he said, yes. Yes, I did. I take responsibility for that. You told us, and we did it. God is also forgiving. In my version of this, I see God as saying, all right, yeah, I can forgive you. You know what? I appreciate you stepping up and taking responsibility. You know, there's, there's something I want to introduce you to. Come this way. There's this plant. This is going to be really important to people in the 2000s. Make sure you call this coffee. <laughs> people are going to need this. Let me show you about this. So that would have been his reward, but that doesn't happen. The consequence is Eve gets pain in the unique gift to women. Birthing life and that they would feel pain in childbirth. And Adam gets the pain of toil, of having to work to produce food to sustain them forever. And then they're kicked out of the garden. So they're kicked out, and now, now maybe they're in Arizona, the Arizona desert. And I can imagine now Adam out of the, out of the garden Imagine the conflicts that they now have later. Adam, he's out working the farm. He comes home from a hard day. It's hot. It's the sun. Now he has to, like, work the land. He has to learn how to, you know, get in the soil, to till, to plant. He's like, dang, this is hard. He comes back home, and he's like, dang, Eve, remember when we used to be back in the garden? She's like, oh, you mean last week? <laughs> he was like, yeah. If you wouldn't have done what you did, we'd still be there. I'd still be there. She's like, bro, really? God told you the command before me. I looked at you, and you remember how you said, yeah, go ahead, eat that apple. And you can see how this conflict would ensue. So step one here is that we have to interrupt our own pattern so we get out of this conflict cycle. So we've got Adam, we've got shame, we've got he blames, Eve feels guilt, she deflects. And the way out of this cycle is we really have to learn to self-regulate. So some self-regulating steps. Even if Adam felt blame, he needed to learn to identify that's what I'm feeling. And accept it. I feel blame. That's hard. Eve felt guilt. We don't want to feel guilt, but we have to identify that is what I'm feeling and accept, okay, I feel guilty. 
Now we're able to move into a place where we can, what's called, down-regulate these emotions. We've got to move from this place of feeling guilt, feeling shame, feeling criticized, and at least get our place to maybe at least neutral. Because the idea is we have to interrupt that reaction. That is the problem. That is the conflict cycle. So the best self-regulation, in our opinion, is when you feel feelings, a core fear like that, to request a pause, ideally for yourself if needed, and then pray to gain peace, understanding, and clarity. Now, the second part of this is you, you have to co-regulate. You're going to have to come together with your partner, and you're going to have to do this together. Now, co-regulation has much more to do with understanding what was that base need that initially was going unmet that led me to feel such fear, that led me usually to such reactions. And so co-regulation is you can come back together with your partner, pray together for the understanding. What are the needs that are missing for us here? What are the things that are having us feel less purposeful, less satisfied? Pray for bringing us back into union for the connection and for forgiveness. And we know the power of prayer, but in Psalms 107, we get this verse that says, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them. Now, if you read this whole psalm, you get that people were actually out on the ocean. But to me, this is a great example of the word being the logos, being the living and active word. Because if I was in a conflict with my partner, which I do get into sometimes, and I went to the word and I read this verse, this would speak to me. Not that I was a fisherman or on a boat, but stilled the storm of my emotions that I felt that I was being taken over by. And the waves of the sea being hushed, my actions, I could actually take some more self-control and we could come together and be glad that we were able to calm the emotions, come back into connection, and then feel as if we could receive guidance from the Lord. So we have to accept that you will get into conflict and you'll probably get into conflict cycles. And that's okay if you have one more powerful tool and that is repair. So in our book, and what we talk about probably 95% of the time is repair. And we have this, these steps called the five R's that we take people through for repair. Because a common mistake is just apologizing is not enough for repair. I'm sorry to be honest about that with some people. Apologizing is not enough. And another mistake we make is that a, I'm speaking to the men here, sorry, sorry for the men, a solution is not resolution. You're missing a piece. The equation is repair plus a solution equals resolution. So the steps of the five R's of how to re-repair in relationship I want to step through. The first one is reflect. And this is going to be a situation in which you find yourself dysregulated, your emotions escalating, your sympathetic nervous system is on, you're on alert, stress responses, you feel that fight, flight, or freeze type of states. 
but we need to be able to, similar in the conflict cycle, pause that cycle, pause the reflex reactions to regulate and now we're wanting to determine what is the real root cause of this. Now just as some examples, for us, root cause, not the dishwasher. Root cause, not your partner. Not what they're doing to you. So there are, there are various things, but for us, a lack of previous things being repaired, that's definitely a root cause of a current conflict. Broken promises, places that you haven't kept your word, what we call a low love account, when you just feel your interactions have been more negative, you feel less loved and connected with your partner, it definitely creates an environment for more conflict. Emotional triggers and then unexpressed expectations. Now, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen, who knows what you need before you ask. That's Jesus in Matthew 6, 6. Ask God in the reflection for calm emotions to help you regulate, for a clear mind, for an open heart, because this next step is the hardest. You have to have willingness. And I, many times I feel I would not be able to do this on my own. The willingness to take responsibility is often not going to come from me. A lot of times I need God's help. I need a clear mind. I need an open heart so I can take responsibility, which is the next step of repair, is to identify what was the role that I played in this conflict, in this conflict cycle, and what was the impact my actions had on my partner. Now, a mistake we often make here is that we stay offended and we wait. It's not my fault. My partner should come to me. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait and I'm going to be angry. I'm going to be offended until they admit where they were wrong. This is a stalemate. This prolongs that argument hangover. I mean, how long are you willing to stay in a hangover? How much life are you willing to lose with your partner, this person that you held hands with and said, we're going to go on this life together. We're going to face the challenges and we're going to do it together. And then you're going to let this little conflict cycle keep you what? Hours, days, weeks separated from one another? So for me, it's, it's simply to think of responsibility as just cause and effect. It's too easy to make ourselves feel bad, feel wrong. So just think to yourself, what action did I take? And then what impact, what effect did that have on my partner? And responsibility is that ownership, that your action did cause an impact to your partner, period. Galatians 6, 2 through 5. Each should test their own actions without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. Man, how often we try to get back into resolution and we compare. Our partner says something, well, I do more than you. It was such a hard, long day at work. Well, do you know what mine was like? No, that's not going to lead to repair. We have to test our own actions and we do not compare ourselves, especially to our partner. So as we move into now step three, we call this reconnect. It's, it's initiating that conversation. So what you have now in your tool belt of relationship tools is you've identified the root cause. You've regulated your emotions. You're willing to take responsibility. And now you want to validate the impact 
that, was, that happened with your partner. So a couple of just quick takeaways. A skill here is one of you has to go first, and I invite the men to be the ones to initiate repair faster. Is that okay? Can I offer that, that initiation? So that means you need to speak first and to speak faster. After reflecting, I realized the root cause was really that I felt shame. I felt very embarrassed. I realized that it was my not following through on what I said, and I take responsibility for that, as it probably had you feel like you couldn't even trust me. Then you ask, was there any other way that you were impacted? And that's it. You pause. You pause to actually let your partner answer that question and search their own heart and be honest about what the impact was. And this puts you in a listener role. So we, it's called mirroring. So you want to mirror back now whatever you hear your partner say. So what I'm hearing you say is that it wasn't actually my not keeping my promise. It was my tone of voice. It was how I just left the room that actually had you feel abandoned and alone. Is that right? There's none of this, oh, but here's my reasoning and here's my intent. No, none of that. Listening and validating the impact does not mean that you have to agree, but the emotional impact must be acknowledged and validated before introducing any kind of logic, any kind of solution, which is really what moves us into the fourth step called remind. Now, remind is essentially being able to request agreements to be made. These are collaborative promises that you both are committed to. And I say committed because compliance is not commitment. Remember, compliance was actually Adam's first sin. And a compliance leads to erosion of trust. In Ecclesiastes 5, 2 through 7, do not be quick with your mouth or hasty in your heart. Many words mark the speech of a fool. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. It is better to not make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Because relationships are rooted in trust. And the only thing we have to build trust is our word. And when we keep our word, we build trust. When we don't, we lose trust. It's as simple as that. So then you're like, well, what about forgiveness? As humans, it's hard for us to forgive repeat offenses, lack of responsibility, and certainly compliance. There needs to be a trust that behavior will change. And I know we want to feel like we can be like Jesus, we can always forgive, but forgiveness often requires follow-through. You cannot expect your partner to forgive you if you give half-hearted compliance, if you're not taking responsibility, if you're not following through, you are not leading your life as God is instructing you. It should not be your expectation that your partner just forgives you. So you need to make agreements that your word will be, there will be change in the behavior, and I will move into a place where your needs partner will be more met. Now we can be in a place of forgiveness, which moves us to the final step of reconciliation, which is 
the ability to turn this conflict into an opportunity for God's purpose. We also glory in our suffering because we know that produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. There needs to be conflict in our life. There needs to be conflict in our relationship because otherwise there's no triumph. There's no requirement for faith. There's no growth. There's no courage. There's, there's no anything. There's no you stepping into the person that you need to be to fulfill God's plan for you. But companionship, partnership was given to us because God has given us someone to go through this life with. There will be challenges. There will be suffering. And it's there for you to grow. But at least you don't have to do it by yourself. And companionship also reminds us that physically someone is with us. It reminds us that we're never alone spiritually. So I know not everyone is in a relationship here, but as far as being an adult, your adult life, I see that there's three options for living. You can live single, and you can try to go through all life's challenges and sufferings on your own, but I wouldn't recommend it. You can get married, and maybe you got married and it was from the right place, but you found yourself in, in a season where it's more dissatisfied, it's more full of conflicts, it's more full of conflict cycles and lack of repair. I don't want you to stay there. The ideal place to live your adulthood is, I would say, married and satisfied. And as I have Pastor Drew come back up to close us out, you have to be an active participant to realize God's plan through you in your own life and certainly in your relationship by one, acknowledging that relationships first and foremost are God's creation. You're interrupting your inevitable conflict cycles. You're fully repairing the impact your actions have on your partner. And then you use conflicts to grow your relationship with God and strengthen your purpose together. Yeah, keep it going one more time for Aaron. You know what I love about their teaching is that it's not just rooted in Christ, but they give you practical steps. And some of y'all are going to need to go back and get this podcast or, or listen to this live stream again. Or, or better yet, uh, purchase their resources on Amazon or subscribe to their podcast, The Empowered Couples, because they are just a, a, a great duo together, um, the way they share together. So we are so honored that we had them here today. In fact, I, I want to pray for you right now. If everyone would just bow their heads close their eyes and as for a moment just reflect on your own life and I want to ask this question are you right with God because as I heard him talk about Adam and Eve and even the original sin and the, the first mistake we can all find ourselves in Adam or Eve we've all made mistakes we have all fallen short of God's uh, 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 promises and uh, of God's dictates for our lives and we know when we've fallen short. And, and the problem that Adam and Eve experienced of shame, regret, and blaming, these are things that we have felt as well. 
And if you're in this place today and you know I'm not right with God, I've got shame when I think about my relationship with Him because I know I've done things I should not have done. I'm here to tell you that God knew that we would be in this predicament. And Jesus volunteered himself, the Son of God, volunteered to leave the throne room of heaven where he is glorified and honored and worshipped. And he volunteered to become a human being like us, to experience humanity, to experience disappointments, to experience pain as well, and to be crucified on a cross so that those who know that they are sinners can find forgiveness in him. He paid the price for your sin. And if you're here today and you know I've got sin, I've got shame, I've got regret, and I want to lay it down before God today and ask Jesus to forgive me of my sin. If that's you, no one's looking around. I won't call you forward or embarrass you, but I don't want you to be embarrassed to have a quick moment where you say, I'm going to be courageous and raise my hand saying, God, would you forgive me of my sin? And I want to get free today. If that's you for the first time, or even even if you want to renew a commitment, would you just throw your hand in the air real quick so I know who I'm praying for, but more importantly, so that God sees you making a decision today that you're going all in with Him. I'm so proud of you for those who raised their hands, and if you're online, and that's you as well, just write in, your, in the chat right now, I'm in and I'm recommitted. And I want to pray with you. Would you just repeat this prayer after me? And the whole church will pray aloud along with you. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. I know I've made mistakes. I'm a sinner. And I'm asking you to forgive me. Thank you, Jesus, for how you sacrificed yourself for me. So I get a brand new start. From this day forward, I am a new creation. The old has been wiped away. The new has come because of what Jesus has done. And I honor you. In Jesus' name I pray. And the church said amen and amen. Come on and celebrate all the many decisions in this room that have been made.